You know, it's so good that what Pastor Rip is saying is absolutely true. I'm so glad we have truth to stand on. If we didn't have truth to stand on, this would be a shaky world. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. And so it's good to have a solid foundation. And so thank you, Rip, for just leading us in prayer. And thank you for praying as a congregation. Um, because it's really all we have. I don't know what else to, I don't know what else to turn to. Because that's all we have. And um, so with that, we just have, we have great confidence. And even though we're, you know, we're a small body in northern Michigan, a sleepy little community way up here in northern Michigan, I'm telling you guys, we have the truth. And I know there are other churches in the area that have the same truth, but it is the truth, not a version of the truth. It is the truth. And we stand on that. Amen? Don't ever waver from that. Don't wander from that, as Pastor Rip was alluding to. That's really good. So today we are continuing our conversations on the millennial kingdom. And, um, you know, I tell you, I got to say, the closer we get to the end of things, the more excited I become as I see God's hand working. As I see God doing the things that only he can do in a world that we're living in. And, uh, you know, what that does, it, it declares to us that God has a grand plan and he's in the business of making it come to pass. He is not um, initi- he is not intimidated by the enemy at all. He understands exactly what the enemy's up to, and uh, his plan is going to come to pass. And that gives great excitement and great peace to my heart. And I think we you know if we just open our eyes and look around, we can see the obvious lies and deception of the enemy. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty, he doesn't hide it anymore. Um, you know, our government and the science that we're being told is true is not really true anymore. It's, you know, our politicians and, and we can just see the enemy's plan. It's so obvious that the enemy is up to something. But you know, God's plan is greater. As much as the enemy is up to it, God's plan is up to it even more to defeat it. And we're assured the victory. So this is something that we just have to keep in our mind. To the extent that the enemy cries out doom and gloom when we preach about things of the end, to the Christian it brings us more peace and assurance. Just so you know that. To the Christian it brings us more peace and assurance. To the extent that the enemy brings more questions that can't be answered, Because clearly there are questions that we can't answer. But to the Christian, it's more excitement for us to know that every possibility that God has in store for us is so much greater than what we don't understand. There's so much more assurance in the things that are going to happen that are going to be better than what we can even begin to comprehend in our little minds. We can't even, as much as we think we can, we can't even begin to comprehend what God has. To the extent the enemy says, you can't know the future... And it's all man's speculation because that's what the enemy will bring to us that we don't really know. We can't really understand God's word. We don't really know what it says. But to the reader of the book of Revelation, the word declares blessings will be given to them as those people really study and take to heart what the book of Revelation says. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, God blesses, hear hear me, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. That means that you're in this room today listening, I'm in this room preaching and we are all going to be blessed. 
That's what the book, that's what the Bible says. I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what anything else would come to you to give you a state of depression or a state of hopelessness. The Bible says that God blesses the one who reads the words of his prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. Do you want the blessings of God today? Do you want it? Then believe it. Then read it and believe it and obey it. The point of all this is that it's not about us, guys. Recognize it's not about us. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ and the fact that he's coming back and he's coming back soon to a church that's ready. To a church that's ready to receive him. Do you know what that means? It means that there's a lot of sleepy churches that aren't ready. There's a lot of sleepy people that aren't ready for his return. He's coming back to those that are looking up and are ready. And it's time that we do that. It's time that we look on, that we understand that the wedding ceremony that's coming is going to be the grandest thing that we could ever imagine. And he's coming back to take us away. He's coming back to wed us. We're the bride. And that should give us excitement. That should give us a sense of anticipation. Not a sense of dread, not a sense of doom, not a sense of stop talking about this. No, this is more, we want to talk about it more because God has so much in store for us. Amen? Do you want more? Do you want more? Amen. Come on, let's say it. We want more. We want more. We want God to give us all that he can give us. And we're not going to settle for less. It's time that we get out of the doldrums. We get out of the sleepiness. And we get to the, we get to the point of excitement that God has something grand for us if we'll just study it, believe it, anticipate it, get excited for it. So we're studying today what the world will be like after the greatest tribulation the world has ever known. And that the planet is going to be reconstructed into a pre-fall condition with everything being put back in perfect order. Do you know what that's going to be like? Can you even begin to anticipate what this world is going to be like? First of all, the tribulation, we've already talked about it, is horrifically terrible. It's going to destroy everything we know. It's going to wipe out billions of people. Over a third of the population will be decimated and destroyed. This whole world will be just, will, will be wreaked with all kinds of havoc. But God, at the end of that, is going to renew the world. And he's going to give us a new pre-fall condition. And that we're going to have a part in the rule of it. When this happens, Satan, the tempter, will have been bound for a thousand-year period of time. That nature will be put back in perfect balance. That peace will abound between men. Think of it. Peace will be restored between men and nature and animals. The ground will be abundantly giving up its crops without much work. Without a lot of sweat and turmoil, the ground will be, will be overflowing with great produce. Food and energy will be abundant and easy to access. It's going to be such a different world than what we're living in right now. Life couldn't be better in its most extreme conditions. So we have to talk about this. We need to be excited about it. So do you have any questions about it? Do you have any questions of what it's going to be like? I do. And here's some of the questions that we're going to talk about. Who will occupy the earth? 
Who will rule the earth at that time? What will life be like? Will there be families? Will there be marriages? Will there be children born? Will people worship God in the temple? These are some questions we're going to talk about today. So first of all, as we begin to, 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 to get there, we need to take a few minutes and remind ourselves up front that what we're discussing now, this thousand-year millennial reign, is going to be completely different than the time that we live in right now. I think that's the biggest problem. We're trying to look at it in the same lens that we're looking at life today. It's going to be solely different. I mean, other than the fact that it's the same chemical composition, makeup, that's the only thing that's going to be similar about the world then as it is today. Everything else is going to be different. So don't try to look at then what like you're looking at it now. Don't try to look at it, well, how can we govern there as we're governing today? It gets a different government, guys. Everything's going to be different about the millennial reign than it is right now. Does that give you some excitement? Can you look forward to that at all? Or are we so busy, wrapped up in our own little world of today? I'm trying to break us out of this nonsense. I'm trying to break us out of, out of the, the fears of COVID or the fears of the next lockdown that's coming, of the fears of the rumors that's coming. Pastor, I've talked about it. Stop believing the rumors. Stop believing the nonsense of this world and start looking forward to what God has in store for us and then we can be abundantly a living above in this world. Then this place will be booming with people because we're excited when we go into the world. We should be excited about the, what the Lord has in store for us. And uh, people that we bump into should say, why are you so excited about life ahead? Because of what we're talking about. And you should be bringing them to church. They should be here learning what you're learning. There's no reason that we're not filling this place up. Because the truth of God's word is being talked about and it's being spoken about in a positive way that's bringing us hope and peace and deliverance. I want that. I don't want to walk around in, in bondage. I don't want to walk around thinking that this world is going to control us because it's not. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about who will occupy the earth. Well, there's going to be two groups of people present at that time. One of those groups will be with glorified eternal bodies. The other group will be mortal earthly bodies. Two different groups. And I want to talk about these because it's very important that we understand this. That the group with glorified eternal bodies, this group will consist of three subcategories. All right? The three subcategories of this will be the church. That's you and I today. You and I will be raptured and resurrected and we'll have our new eternal bodies at the rapture when our bodies will never, ever decay after that. We're going to be given new eternal heavenly bodies just like Jesus had when he was resurrected. Do you understand what that's going to be like? Can you, excite, can you get excited about having a body that has no aches and pains? A body that doesn't lose its eyesight. A body that doesn't grow old. A body that doesn't get fat. Come on, amen. Somebody give me an amen. Do you want to be fat? <laughs> do you want to be lazy? Do you want to be worn out all the time? Or do you want to have energy? This body will have energy like you've never experienced it before. This body will fly. This body will go through doors and go through walls. And this body will go from here to there instantaneously. 
forever. Forever. That's the body I want. That's the body you're promised if you'll take the attitude today that you want it. Too many people don't really know what they want. And we're sitting back on our hands thinking that God is going to do something great. Is he? Or is he when we expect him to? Amen. So that's one of the sub subcategories. We will be there in our eternal glorified bodies. This other second will be the tribulation martyrs. Those who went into the tribulation that missed the rapture, that got saved in the tribulation, that did not accept the mark of the beast, these were the ones that gave up their life for the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you think you have it hard today living for Jesus, think about what it's going to be for them because they are going to be martyred, they're going to be beheaded or some other way killed as a testimony to their faith in Christ. Right, But they will be in the millennial reign with their resurrected bodies. They will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ. Those tribulation martyrs that died will be given their eternal bodies at the second coming of Christ, at the end of the tribulation, and they will have glorified eternal bodies. The third subcategory are the Old Testament saints. These are everybody you read in the Bible today, Moses and Noah and David and and Samuel and all the Old Testament heroes. They will be given their eternal glorified bodies as well at the second coming of Christ. And they will be in that third subcategory of those with glorified eternal bodies in the millennial reign. All right, so we got that. We're good with that. You know who you're going to be? Do you know which group you're going to be? Amen. All right, the second group that's going to be are those that are mortal earthly bodies. And these are the people that have survived the tribulation and are also sub, sub, subdivided into two subgroups. The first group is the believing Gentiles. Those are the people that I was describing earlier. Those are the people that missed the rapture. They got saved in the tribulation, but they weren't martyred. Somehow they survived. Somehow they made it to, through those, to that, the, the, the seven years, the three and a half of the great, the, the great tribulation at the end. Somehow they, they, they escaped all the persecution of the, of, of the Antichrist and somehow they survived. And then there's going to be the believing Jews that came to accept in Christ as the Messiah. There will also be that subcategory of human, fleshly, mortal people. They're just like us today. Their bodies will get tired. Their bodies will be beat up. They're, they're going into the millennial reign as mortals. Are we good with that? Two sub, two groups, right? Which one are we? Which one are we? We're the immortal ones, right? Because we're saved. We're going to either die or raptured here and we're going to come back with our eternal bodies. Then there will be those that are saved in the tribulation and they'll somehow, somehow will make it through. But remember, the Jews here rejected Jesus the first time he came. And because they were expecting when Jesus came the first time, they were expecting him to set up an earthly kingdom, right? They were expecting him to be the ruler of the world at that time. They didn't know that Jesus was going to go away and come back and actually do the earthly reign later. That's what's happening now. The Jewish nation didn't realize that Jesus was going to come twice to earth. The second time he was coming to establish his earthly kingdom. You see, when the angel Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary back in 
what we would know as the Christmas story. The Gabriel, the, the, the angel Gabriel told Mary a prophetic event. And she said that you will have a son, Mary, and that he would be great among all people. And that he would be given a throne of his father, David. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33, the angel said, Mary, don't be afraid, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never reign. His kingdom will never end. Sorry. And the prophet Isaiah, among others, declared that Jesus would be the rightful king that would also reign over this thousand-year period. And his kingdom would never end, according to Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23. Then the glory of the moon will wane, and the brightness of the sun will fade, for the Lord of heaven's armies will rule on Mount Zion. He will rule in great glory in Jerusalem in sight of all the leaders of his people. So Jesus will be the ruler of this new world. Last time we spoke about the covenantal promises of God to Jesus' son that would give him an earthly kingdom and that he would reign forever. Now, one thing about a king is that Jesus is a delegator and Jesus is going to solicit others to rule with him. And he promised King David that he would be the second in command as under Jesus. King David would be the vice ruler, if you will, the vice regent, of this new kingdom. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 and 9 through 9, it says, Alas, in all history, when there has never been a time of terror such as this in that coming day, that he's talking about the, the tribulation, it is a time of trouble for my people, for Jacob, such as they have never known before. Yet God will rescue them. For on that day, says the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke from their necks and snap their chains, and foreigners shall no longer be their masters. For they shall serve the Lord their God, and here it is, and David their king, who I, whom I will rise up for them, says the Lord. So Jesus will be the king, and David will be right under Jesus as a sub-king or a sub-servant to Jesus. And there will be others that will be prominent in that time as well for rulership. Others that will be prominent will be the twelve apostles, as they will serve as judges over the twelve tribes of Israel. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus is setting up a kingdom. He is the king. And he's delegating authority to David, to the twelve tribes of Israel. And then here's where we come in. The church, the tribulation martyrs, and the Old Testament saints will also have roles of leadership. You will have a role of leadership in the millennial reign. John the Revelator saw the vision of heaven describing the kingdom, and he established it like this. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, he said, And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy, talking about Jesus, to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them, who is them? Us, the nations, to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they, we, they will reign on the earth. 
So we will be a reigning part of God's kingdom. You will have authority. You will have a responsibility. Becoming a kingdom of priests means that we will have varying degrees of responsibility over the inhabitants of the world. So over the mortals, over those that are still in their fleshly bodies, you and I in our eternal glorified bodies, along with the Old Testament saints, along with the tribulation martyrs, we will be given responsibility to do help God, help Jesus rule the millennial reign. So what does that mean? What, what does that really look like to you, do you think? You see, God has promised that he sees and rewards the actions of people. He's watching your heart. He's watching your life. He's seeing what you do. He's seeing your heart's motivation. Why do you do the things you do? He's seeing that. He's taking note of that. He's watching us. And I don't mean to make this creepy, but I mean to make it truthful because this is exactly what's happening. That's why our life right now is important. This is what it means to know that when God says he's watching and he's giving people rewards, he's, he's watching what we do, he's knowing our heart, he's discerning our motives. Because he's going to reward us in the end. This is why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, the Christians today have a reason for living more than just paying their bills. More than just being a good citizen. More than just being a good neighbor. Those are important things, guys. And those are important to your witness. Those are important to your testimony that you are that. But there's so much more because God rewards us based upon what we're doing for God today. And those rewards will be in ruling privileges in the millennial reign. Now, I know some people say, I don't want responsibility. I want to retire. <laughs> when I go to heaven, I just, some people are good with floating on a cloud, strum on a harp. <laughs> but that won't last long if that's where you are. Listen, listen. You will have the ability to do what God gives you the ability to do, and you will take great pleasure in it. If God gives you an authority to do something, you will do it very well, and he will have great joy in serving God. And it will be an amazing experience for us. To, better, to help us better understand this principle and how important it is, Jesus talked about this. He gave a couple different parables. I want to read the one in Luke chapter 19 that talks about how important it is that we are found faithful doing the things that God has given us to do today. This is why when we talk about tomorrow, it's important that we realize that there's an application for it today. And this is the application. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, Jesus tells this parable. And he says, while they were listening, while they were listening to him, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. 
He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to get to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. A mina is about three months worth of wages. Put this money to work, he said, until they come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Verse 15, he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king, remember that? Those enemies that didn't want Jesus to be king over them? Bring them here and kill them in front of me. Boy, does that sound like Jesus talking? Do you think that Jesus would say something as serious as this if he wasn't going to actually reward people as this parable suggests? You see, some people, some people in this world, they have misunderstood perceptions. Number one, they misunderstand who Jesus is. They think Jesus is just this gentle person that doesn't understand justice, that doesn't understand what it means to be truthful, that thinks that I'm an all-inclusive, come to me the way you are and I'll accept you the way you are and you don't have to change for me. They totally un- misunderstand Jesus as being such a gentle person without any, without any bent towards justice. That's not the Jesus that the Bible says. Now, Jesus came as a child. He came as a young boy. He grew up to be a perfect man. He died a perfect death to become our sacrifice. But now when we see Jesus coming back here in the second, in the second coming, at, at the way he's going to reign on the earth, he's not coming as a gentle person anymore. He's coming as a righteous judge. He's coming as a, as a man that says, I gave you all the instructions that you needed. I gave it all to you. I gave you all these things to be a steward over. Now I'm expecting a return. So they misunderstand who Jesus is. They also misunderstand who the devil is. They, th- they think the devil is somebody to play with. They think the devil is someone that's really not evil after all. He, he's really not that bad. We Christians are making the devil out to be a lot worse than he really is. He, he really is our friend because he likes to party with us. 
And he's promising us all kinds of enjoyment if we party with him. They don't understand the devil hates them. They don't really understand the devil has everything out against them to destroy them. The devil doesn't understand that the devil will never have what you can have. Therefore, the devil hates you so much because you're going to go to a place the devil will have no more access to. He used to have access to the throne room of heaven. He used to have all the glories of God, but no longer. And because he can't have it in the future, he's really, really angry. And he's out to destroy So obviously, we need to take serious what Jesus takes serious. Jesus takes serious the fact that he's giving us some things to be stewards over. Therefore, be active in the kingdom and take care and do what you're supposed to do. It's that simple. Don't justify it any other way. Don't give yourself a a way out thinking that it's not really going to happen this way because everything the Bible says is true and is going to come to pass just as it says. So here's another question. What is ruling with Jesus going to look like? We're going to rule with him. What's it going to look like? Well, the best example I can think of serving as a priest to reign on earth is basically to repeat what Jesus did and does today. Jesus leads through service. Jesus leads through being a servant. It doesn't only make sense that everything that is taught to us today about serving and leading people will only be magnified in the time of eternity, in the time of the millennial reign. Why would Jesus change his stripes all of a sudden? Why would he change his strategy? No, if we're going to rule with Jesus, we have to know what it means to be a servant to people. We don't lord it over them. We don't demand things of them that we won't do ourselves. We're to do the things the way Jesus taught us to live now and then then. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I think this is a good model for us to be putting in place right now, for us. We're to reign, we're to rule with, we're to rule people right now, we're to lead people right now through a servant attitude, a servant heart, because that's the way we're going to be reigning in eternity. That's the way we're going to be reigning in the millennial reign, just as Jesus did. So let's take a minute and let's just review where we're at right now. Okay. We've said a lot of things. So let's just review a little bit. Jesus will be the ruling government. It will all be about Jesus. King David will be second in command. The 12 apostles will be rulers over the 12 tribes of Israel. And all other believers, including us, will be given ruling responsibilities of various natures over the cities and the governing factors of the whole world system. You will have responsibility, and you're going to be really good at it. So just take that to heart. This will be a perfectly orchestrated government with all authority directly given to King Jesus. This is not a democracy. There are no votes taken. 
Justice will be swift and perfect. No wars or battles of any type. Peace will reign throughout the entire planet. It's going to be an amazing time. So we can just look forward to that and not have to worry about, do we have to elect a new president? (laughs) There are no elections. There will be no political debates. There will be no arguments because Jesus will be the king and he will rule it with an iron scepter and a rod and we're going to be his ruling agents with him and it's going to be peaceful. It's going to be awesome. All right. So now we take a little review. Let's come back to the initial inhabitants will be mortal and they will be believers. Anyone that comes into the millennial reign will be a believer in Jesus. There will be no unbelievers. They will be destroyed in the battle of Armageddon. Anyone that doesn't accept Christ as king then will be destroyed in the battle of Armageddon. But the people that survive to the end of the seven-year tribulation, they will not have worshipped the Antichrist, they will not have received his mark, and they will receive Jesus as their Savior. We spoke a couple weeks ago about the sheep and goat judgment. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. These are the sheep nations. And these are the ones that have blessed Israel over and throughout the tribulation time. And they will come in as mortals into the thousand-year millennial reign. So what will life be like? Let's talk about life a little bit. What will life be like? Well, God will supernaturally rebuild the earth and its environment back into the way that it was at pre at the pre-fall time, at the beginning, beginning of creation. In other words, the world will be in its perfect state. It will be just as it was when Jesus correct or when God created it in the first place. The world has been ravaged up to this point in time. The events of the tribulation have destroyed all the houses and types of structures and man-made objects there. But God rebuilds and prepares back into a perfect environment so, so that man can occupy it for the next thousand years. And God will take full responsibility to rebuild the, the, rebuild the environment because only God can do that. God is the creator. But he, as it was... In the original creation, God will intend to give men responsibility. So men, the mortal men in, the, in those times, they will be given the task of rebuilding structures and rebuilding cities. And they will be given the task of repopulating the earth. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the renewed ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And so those mortal people in that time, they'll be given a responsibility to build, to use their hands, to be productive. The prophet Isaiah describes it in more detail in verse 65, verses 21 and 22. He says, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Do you enjoy work? Do you enjoy a good, productive day of work? Whatever it is, sure, we do. That's the way we're created. All this means here that there will be much building and much productivity in the kingdom age by those that are inhabiting the world at that time. 
You know, going back to the days of creation, God always intended for man to work. He always intended us to be productive. God's plan for humanity has always been a balanced and productive dose of work. That's what he wanted men to do. So that's something that we're going to be very, very much a part of. But you know, at the same time, because these people are human, it's a strong likelihood that many of these people that survive the tribulation will be injured or have some type of physical infirmity that's impacting their life. Think about that. I mean, they're going to be, have gone through the most, most terrific time of earth and they're probably going to be pretty beat up. But God, Jesus, will provide physical healing for the tribulation survivors as they enter into the millennial kingdom. Think about this. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Then he says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. So at the beginning of the millennial reign, Jesus will not only recreate the world and the environment to be a perfect situation, but he will heal all the infirmities of humans. Those that are believers that are entering into the millennial reign, both Jews and Gentiles, they will be healed and they will be brought back into a perfect, healthy situation. Doesn't that only make sense that he would do that? That he would supernaturally heal the people? Absolutely. So here's another question. Will there be families? Will there be marriages and children born? Well, if they are to repopulate the earth, then they must have this of the ability to to do this. Their their mandate here is to repopulate what has been destroyed of earth. Now, there's going to be, we don't know how many people are going to come in, but it's not going to be what the world's population is today because most of the world's population will be destroyed in the tribulation. And then there's going to be a vast number of will be destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. So it's just only going to be a remnant of believers that will come into the millennial reign. So they will be given the task of repopulating. Again, going back to what was God's original design for mankind? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God's command will be then what it was at the beginning repopulate build up cities build up life have commerce guys that's what we have a thousand years ahead of us to do this a thousand years is a long time so adam was intended to simply do more than just tend the garden he was expected to expand the garden outside of the garden of eden if you think about it because it says, God bless them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, not just the garden. Fill the earth and govern it. So man will have the same mandate and that they will live in this period of time. They will live extended ages and produce children through many generations. And we don't know exactly how this is going to happen, but through a combination of many factors, maybe some physical, maybe some spiritual, maybe because of the... Um, the fact that Jesus heals everyone at the same time, where am I at here? Um, that there'll be, there'll be healings because maybe the curse of the earth has been lifted. Better food, 
men will live to be uh, a lot longer than they're living today. Maybe even back to pre-flood times. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll be living up to the thousand years. I don't know exactly. There will be death. We'll talk about that another time. But there will be death. But the Lord says that he will restore things. And Isaiah, Zechariah chapter 8, verses 3 and 5, it says, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty and will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. So there's going to be old people and there's going to be children in this time. Isaiah 65, 20 and 22. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. So the ages, people will live to be a uh, a lot older than 90, 80 that we are today, 80 or 90. We're going to live hundreds of years. They will live. Mortals will live hundreds of years. We're, remember, we are in our eternal bodies. We're never going to die. We're not of that group. So will people worship God in the temple in Jerusalem? Jerusalem will be the spiritual capital city, and Jesus will base his kingdom out of Jerusalem at that time. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and people will stream into it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jesus will be the teacher. He'll be the king, the teacher. The earth's inhabitants will be make periodic trips to Jerusalem to observe certain ceremonies and rituals of that day. Now, there's some things that we don't understand here. But they're going to be actually redoing temple worship. They will be establishing, they will be doing temple sacrifice at that time. And it'll be more as a remembrance of what it was before. But it's going to be a time of great um, worship. We will worship. They will come and they will make pro- pilgrimages back to Israel, back to Jerusalem at that time. So I know I've said a lot. Jackie, would you come, please? I know that I've said a lot here, and, I, and I, I'm hoping, again, through all of this, that we're starting to experience the ex, the excitement of what's ahead. I mean, that's the point of all this. Yeah, I want to educate you. I want you to be aware of as much as you can about what's happening on earth then so that we have an opportunity to live our lives today appropriately. What I don't want us to do is put our heads in the sand and just wait for the day. I don't want us to do that. I don't want us to think that we there's nothing for us to do today because there is a lot for us to do today. Just as that in that parable that Jesus gave about the lesson on, on the mina, we're responsible for God's resources that he's given us. We're responsible to do with the things that God has given us so that we are rewarded appropriately. I don't want to be that servant that is just giving Jesus his mind back. That's not a good place to be. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to work in this life and to do everything we can to honor God and re- and work hard for him today. Does that make sense? Do we see that? 
And I know you are. I know we're, we're seeing the fruits of this in this church. We're seeing some of it already. But I just want to encourage us all that we continue to work hard. We continue to honor God with everything that he has for us. We continue to honor him and work hard and be diligent. And when we do that, he'll be faithful to reward us, not only in this life, but the life to come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just love you today, and I thank you, God, for what you're doing for us. I thank you, Lord, that you're giving us a word of instruction that I pray is a word of encouragement as well as a word of challenge. And I pray, Father, that as we look forward to what you have in store, that we will not be overtaken by the complexity of it, but we will be encouraged by the peace that it gives, by the encouragement that it gives. So, Lord, I just pray. I just ask you, Lord, to just break through our hearts and our minds today and just let us understand what you would have us to grasp. In the times that we have ahead, Father, let us be diligent, faithfully serving you, faithfully working hard in your kingdom. And, God, if there's things in our lives that we need to change, I pray that we're we're willing to change. I pray, Father, that we're willing to invite your conviction into our hearts to continue to challenge and motivate us to live holy and righteous before you because you are our soon coming king and we look forward to that day when we meet you in the air and we see you face to face. Father, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you will. Let's sing the song that Tom and Jack have played this week.
Amen. So as you go today, remember who you are. Don't let the enemy come and steal your victory today. Don't let the enemy come in and tell you that you aren't anything other than what you are. And what are you? You're a child of God. He's gone to prepare a place for you. He has a home prepared a place for you. He has a place that's going to be grand prepared for you. And don't let the enemy tell you any different. Amen. Amen. Be encouraged today. Look up. Our redemption draweth nigh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this promise of hope. Lord, thank you for giving us our identity. Our identity is in you, not in this world or anything of this world. Our identity is in you, and we are children of God. We're children of the Most High. And so we look forward to that day, Lord, but we look forward to seeing you face to face and seeing that home that you prepared. Go with us today as we go into our homes and our life here. Make us productive. God, give us a kingdom reward, I pray, because we're productive here on earth today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Have a great day.